0: So when I was a kid uh growing up I played um I played some baseball and I played uh football um probably about uh 6 years worth of football um Floral Park Indians it was like you know organized kind of little league football um I think I probably started in second grade maybe third I was never really that good um but you know I played um for all those years and I remember um, it's crazy the stuff that you remember when you were a kid. Um, one night I'm at practice and uh, you know you had six different teams practicing on these various fields um, I'm on one and in the distance maybe 100 f- yards away maybe um, in fact it was it was a it was a baseball field, it was like the outfield of a baseball diamond that these little kids were playing. I think I was maybe sixth grade. And uh, we're, we're at practice doing our thing and all of a sudden you hear this screaming. And um, it wasn't like screaming like somebody got hurt or screaming like there's an emergency. It was like angry screaming and uh, I looked over. We all kind of stopped. Everything kind of stopped. We looked over in the direction, and we could see this one of the coaches screaming, screaming at this little kid, like top. Well, again, it was like a hundred, like hundred yards away. We could hear him. We could hear what he was saying. Um, and then, to make it worse, he took his the kid's face mask. And he grabbed it. So he was kind of like controlling the kid with a face mask, like turning his head this way, like a, like a puppet almost. It was terrible. And I remember we all just kind of looked at it. We looked at it and like, it was like this collective silence, like, what's going on? Like the kid was, must've been like third grade, fourth grade. How old are you in fourth grade? Like, I remember we were thinking to ourselves like, what could this kid have done that would have warranted that kind of reaction? Like, how about, there's nothing, like zero. There's no thing that that kid could have done that would have made, because the guy was, what he was screaming about was football. Something the kid did wrong. And it was weird, it was like this sort of instinctive thing. We weren't, you know, we were kids ourselves. How old are you in sixth grade? Like, how old are you? Uh, 10, something like that. So like 10 year olds are like thinking, this is messed up. Like, what's this guy doing? Kind of wonder like, what was going through the the heads and the hearts of coaches like that? Um, Wait, there was another one in town. This was a, a few years before me and I never had this guy. Similar kind of in-your-face drill sergeant. He never, put, all he played was the starting 11. Like he, he'd throw in second and third stringers like with one minute left in the game. Crazy. And they, they were a very strong team. Like these kids could have been in midway through the third quarter. They get a minute, like it was an insult. It was almost like, don't even put, don't even put them in. And to make it crazier, the kids the son of the, this coach was the quarterback and he wasn't even that good, but he's the quarterback. So it's just like, like a caricature of the silly coach. Like how could your priorities be so messed up where you could be screaming at a kid in that way and at that intensity? Um, I think in some respects, like, I, I think that's gotten better but I also think this, and, and maybe in some respects it hasn't, but let's say it has, it's kinda shifted. It shifted from the sidelines to the bleachers. Like, I mean, I don't, Obviously, I don't have any kids of my own, so I'm not at games that often, but once in a while I am. When my nephews and nieces were younger, I was at their games a little bit, I was at games a little bit more because of them and inevitably, they'd be just like the parent in the bleachers who just, you just wanted to turn at the person and just say, would you just shut up? Like, are you, are you for real? The way they would be talking to uh, yelling at umps and refs, the language they'd be using, the intensity with which they'd be like cheering on their, their kid. Listen to this. This is a, uh, this was written by a, Psychologist. The title of the article is, Sports Parents, We Have a Problem. Like I said, sports parents, we have a problem. Want, Want to know the problem? We'll look in the mirror. I don't mean to insult you by indicting you as being the problem as an individual parent. I don't know you or how you are with your kids in their sports lives but I am talking about the many sports parents who have been both seduced by and abet the toxic youth sports culture in which your kids are now immersed. You know the one one in which results are all that matter for parents and children alike, even at a young age. And let me be clear, many children are suffering for it, athletically and way more importantly, emotionally. So I'm writing this article based on a disturbing experience that I witnessed not long ago at my daughter's regional championship. Here's what I saw. At least a dozen kids in tears after their events. Parents in the Finnish area talking to their children about their result immediately after they finished a boy who was lying face down on the floor in the clubhouse in tears while his father had his earbuds in and was looking at his phone. A father father trying to console his sobbing daughter after her event. When a teammate approached, patted her on the back and said it's okay. The father then asked how she did. When the teammate said reluctantly that she won... The father high-fived and congratulated her with tremendous enthusiasm over the top. All the while, his daughter lay below in tears. A mother who was a friend of mine told me that her son didn't want her to watch his events because it makes him too nervous. He's nine. A father I also know said that his daughter was in tears and vomited before her first event because she's so anxious and she was too upset to compete in her second event. She's 10. The weight of expectations is a crushing burden on the shoulders of young athletes. If you dig down to the very heart of these reactions, you'll find a fear of failure, specifically, that if these kids don't perform well, They perceive that something really bad will happen, however objectively untrue it may be. Let me be clear that this problem isn't even a sports problem. Rather, it's a problem that permeates our results-obsessed achievement culture that you find in school and in the arts, certainly in sports, anywhere in which kids can aspire to great success and where parents can lose their minds. Here's a simple reality. Kids under 12 years old shouldn't be crying after they compete. In fact, no kids should. What so many parents and young athletes don't realize is that the results of, at such a young age, just don't matter. How could, uh, how could your priorities, how could the, the hierarchy of things that matter get so messed up? <laughs> you know, that coach that I witnessed, that's, you know, 45 years ago, a long time ago. Maybe you haven't got that going on now. But like I said, the, the bleacher craziness the reaction of these kids, well, described by this parent psychologist. How could we, how have we, how and why and when did we make this so important? Like, how did it happen? Did we sub out something for it? Is it a, like a substitution game? We pulled out maybe stuff that really does matter and really is important, we pull that out and we inserted my kids' lacrosse in place of, or my daughter's dance, or my whatever's whatever. And I've just made it way more than it ever remotely should be. Isn't it maybe just a matter of priorities? I mean, look at this gospel. I mean, I think, isn't that really what he's talking about? Jesus, these two guys come up to him. I want to follow you. I want to be on your team. I want discipleship. And he's like, great, come on. And then one guy says, just give me a little bit of time. I got to go bury my dad. And he says, no, no don't worry about your father. The other guy says, yeah, I want to follow you. And he says, let me go home and say goodbye to my family before I follow you. And he goes, no, no. Like you follow me, you follow me. You can't be looking in other directions. You can't be looking behind you. You got to look forward. You got to commit. Like I've got to be number one. You know, if it was anybody else, you'd say that sounds a little like egotistical, right? I got to be the center of your universe, like, if anybody else said that, you'd be like, Who are you? How full of yourself. But there's one person who's allowed to say that. It's the only one. I want, I, he has a right to say to us, I want to be the center of your life. I want everything in your life to revolve around me. So, like, your father's laid out in the funeral home. Don't worry about it. Come follow me right now. And I know that sounds a little crazy. That sounds almost as crazy as the the coach with the face mask and the screams. They're both intense. One is for football and the other is for God. I think the logical question then becomes, so like, where is he in my list? My list of priorities because he's saying I gotta be number one. Remember the my favorite sports movie of all time, one of my favorite movies of all time is Hoosiers, great movie with Gene Hackman, basketball, little basketball team in Indiana, the 1950s, tiny little high school, a nothing little team. And this guy is a, a new coach, an outsider. And he ultimately turns this group of losers into Winners. But it's, so much, it's, it's about so much more than basketball. I mean, sports is always more about, much more than about the sport. That's why sports are so good, because they really do teach us life lessons, don't they? This whole movie is like a, a, just an ongoing life lesson. At any rate, there's one great scene, one of many, but one but this particular one, first game of the year, and he's been practicing the team, and he realizes they're, they're not operating like a team. They're too individual. Too many Chiefs. And he can see it, and he's trying to break it, and they're not really buying it. So he comes up with this rule to kind of mandate it. He says, four passes, you got to pass the ball four times before you take a shot, no matter what. You can have a completely open shot. You can't take it if, you have, if there haven't been four previous passes. Seems crazy, right? Like, who's got, how are you going to score points if that's the way you operate? Well, his thing is, right now, there's something more important than scoring points. There's getting these guys to act as a team, as one. First game of the year, they're getting crushed. People in the bleachers are going crazy, the parents. Because they're not scoring and they're watching. What's this four-pass thing? They come in at halftime. The coach, Hinchin Hackman, reminds them again, four passes. They go out, second half, and these kids defy the coach. Kid gets the ball, goes right down the court, quick layup. The place goes crazy, it's finally like, finally we're gonna start playing some basketball. Kid does it again, Gene Hackman calls timeout, he benches the kid. There's only one other kid left on the bench. It's a tiny little team. And this kid is a tiny little kid, he's a little scrub who's not very good. He rides the bench. He's now taking the place of the kid who just got benched. Couple of minutes now pass, a kid on the floor, a kid on the team fouls out. So he's now out of the game. So the kid on the bench has got to go back in and take his place. He's the only one there. So the kid on the bench gets up, starts to unzip his jacket, walks onto the court, and Gene Hackman, the coach, says, hey, where are you going? And he looks at him, and he goes up, going onto the play. This taking his place. Gene Hackman says, sit down. The kid looks at him like he's out of his head. So the kid sits down. The people, people are murmuring in the, in the bleachers now. What's going on? The ref walks over and goes, Coach, you need another player on the floor. And the coach goes, no, my, my team is on the floor. The ref is like, uh, all right, I mean, you can play with four. Nobody does, but you can. So he finishes with four and they lose. They get, they get beat more in the second half than they did the first. So he loses the game. Fast forward to the end of the movie, more or less, midway through the movie even, They start winning games. And more than that, they win the respect of this coach. Because he said, yeah, like, winning isn't everything. And this guy's competitive. This guy wants to win, and ultimately they do. But he's like, yeah, but end of the day, there is more important here than winning games. I'm coaching these kids, they're gonna be a team, and there's lessons to be learned. And if we lose games in the process, that's okay. It's not my hope but it's not most important. I think it's what he was speaking to in this gospel. What's most important in our lives? Is it God and how does that play out? And if it's not God, all right, hey, that's where we're at. How do we move him up? How do we move God up the ladder of priority? Very practical ways. I got a a guy that I know, sort of a friend of mine. um, He told me, uh, Last summer, COVID and all the, you know, just the restrictions, he bought a couple of jet skis. He lives down, down by the water, not down here, but uh, on, the, on the shore. And he, uh, he bought three jet skis, he's got a number of kids, and he said it, it was the best purchase he ever made. They loved it. They were together, they were in the water, it was just, it was a, it was a grand slam. more family time together than they they had had in a couple of years. The oldest kid who was kinda, you know, like 17, I think, and was sorta done hanging out with the family. He kinda was now part of this again. They just had great memories from this purchase. And then he said to me, you know, here's the temptation. We were having such a great time. We'd go out on, well, lots of days, but always on Sundays. And he said, there were day, we'd go out early, and the plan was we'd always get to, we'd catch an evening mass. And he said, this started to become this pull, because it was so good, it was so much fun, and it was good, like, it was family time, it was a good thing. It's like burying your father, it's like saying goodbye to your family when you go follow Jesus, all good stuff. And he said he started to flirt a couple of Sundays with saying, let's just ditch mass, and then he started to think about his family growing up and how that was just not a possibility. It was not an option. And he said, What was what, what was and he he this 50 year old guy and his three siblings, all adults, are all churchgoers. When almost nobody else is, or so few are. And he was like, I know. It had to do with that consistency. It, was just, it made it easier to just stay committed through a college, post-college, getting married, raising kids, when there was o- there's always competition. And very often, it's good competition. It's objectively good stuff. But when it trumps faith, now it's taken a kind of an ugly turn. And this guy was like, I can't believe I was flirting with it, like kind of just saying, all right, we'll, we'll just, you know, it's only one Sunday, no big deal. You know, like after 9-11 when they, uh, what was it, Homeland Security was formed and they, they, you know, they say now, like, you know, we haven't really had an attack. It's like, they've got this crazy dynamic, this Homeland Security and the government, like, you gotta be right 100% of the time. Like, wh- 1% mistake and you could have another 9-11 on your hands. So like, they have to be right they have to be so committed to this, to keeping us safe. I think that's the way it's got to be with us in faith and the practical way of how that plays out, not the only, but the most consistent and the most practical is being here, being at church. You know, this is an awesome setting and it's, you know, it's great to be here and it's, it's a bit, is beautiful and, and, and it's great that we are, but I mean being here when it's not easy and when we are busy and it's the, when it's the last thing we want to do, when we're on a jet ski and like we just don't want to come or whatever, whatever your jet ski is, whatever it is that competes with here. like I just think, I speak of my own family experience and I'm not saying I had the perfect family, but I am saying this, it was, just, it was non-negotiable. Being here was just a given. And I think we're all grateful for it. Me and my siblings. I know we are. And one more time, we're far from perfect. But it was a gift. And I don't think it's a gift that can be messed with. And you may be like, well, all right, Father. I, mean, I hear what you're saying, but it's a, it's a little hardcore. It's a little, it's a little radical. Like, never? Yeah, never. It is radical. You know what It was radical. Hey, I got to go bury my father. Forget about your father. You come follow me right now. Hey, I want to follow you. I just want to go say goodbye to mom and dad. Forget about mom and dad. You come follow me. That's radical. And he wanted us, I think, to know that. It is radical. It's a radical faith. It's supposed to be radical. Make friends with radical.